It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, and we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Miked Up Podcast. This is an unapologetic, low-country-based podcast hosted by yours truly, Mika Gadsden. This episode, uh, I'm going to share with you this interview. I recorded this interview a couple of days ago with my friend and local Latinx journalist, Fernando Soto Golden. Uh, both Fernando and I discuss in this episode, uh, we discuss the lack of diversity within our media landscape here in South Carolina. Uh, we also talk about um, Sheriff Graziano and the recent controversy, uh, including involving rather the Sheriff's Department and their surveillance efforts aimed at activists, including myself. Um, so we talk about that a little bit, but we talk about the press how the press here in Charleston covered it or how they chose to cover it. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, I hope you learn a lot. Check out the show notes for additional details. Until next time, y'all, please stay well, stay healthy, continue to stay engaged, and let's push this, let's push some things a little left, all right? To the left, to the left. And also to my Gullah Geechee folks, my black folks here living and thriving in Charleston, y'all stay black. Hey, what's up, Fernando? It's good to have you here. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. For those who don't know you or your work, can you go ahead and just introduce yourself to folks? Yeah, thank you. Uh, my name is Fernando Soto. I am the CEO and publisher of uh, Nuestro Estado, which is a local Spanish news website serving Spanish-speaking audiences across South Carolina. Okay, thank you so much. So I wanted to talk to you uh, just um, about your work uh, I use my platform. I've been lately. I've, I've described it to folks as I'm 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 a disruptive force within the the media landscape here in Charleston, and um, that really it may it might sound a little more off more off putting than what it really means. But um, being that our our media here in South Carolina and in the Low Country specifically, our media is is very, very homogenous, and so. I, I challenge a lot of content that comes out of mainstream media sources and whatnot. Um, and um, I, I look to you, you know, as almost like a, you know, a, a definitely a peer here. Um, you're doing the same thing, it feels like. Um, so I wanted to I wanted you to characterize, you know, your media platform, your voice here in Charleston. And, and what do you I guess what space you occupy in, in such a homogenous area? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, well, first, I don't think that, uh, you know, it's off-putting to think of yourself as a disruptor. Uh, right. I had a client, actually, that told me that early on uh, when I was trying to sign a pretty significant contract. And she said to me, she was like, you know, you're a disruptor in the industry. And at first, I was like, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But like, looking back on it, I'm like, you're absolutely right. Like, we're out here, we're doing things differently. You know, we're not reinventing the wheel in terms of like, we didn't create, you know, this new product or website or anything like that. But the way that we are approaching telling stories of us in our community in certain spaces, whether it be at press conferences, or, you know, interviewing folks, uh, is what we're doing differently. Uh, and so that, I think that's the space that I occupy. A lot of times it can be intimidating uh, because people aren't used to it, right? People are used to, uh, especially here in the Charleston area, we have a lot of great reporters, um, but we have a lot of reporters that have uh, uh, 
uh, proximity, who have some kind of comfort level with the people that they're interviewing, with the people that they're trying to hold accountable. And Mm -hmm. so I've been very intentional about really detaching myself from those folks, especially if they're elected officials, um, so that I can ask those questions. And like, for everyone listening, like, yeah, my voice trembles. My knees are shaking sometimes when I'm in these places, like trying to think of questions. And I'm like, this might not be very well received. But at the end of the day, I know that that is what I need to ask so that my community has answers and so that we're able to move the needle forward a little bit, you know? Yeah, no, I really respect that. I think that's why you and I, we connect so much, so well. And, um, you know, you've been on, you've been on my radio show when I was at home. Um, we stay in, in, in communication. Um, probably I should do better, <laughs> but, no. but I think what, what always brings us back to, to this conversation or to the spaces where we discuss this is that we're both aligned in that we don't prioritize access to powerful people, um, and, and you also, I've seen you demonstrate and I've seen this cause I'm looking at your Twitter and some recent tweets right now. Um, but I've seen you demonstrate an ability to create that separation. That's very important. Um, you know, maintaining your, your, your place in the media as a, as an independent cogent voice. I've seen you do it. You say you do it with, with trembling voice, but I, I've, I've seen nothing but confidence. Let me ask you something like that. Um, when you do that, do you get any response, any backlash, any calls or texts? I can only imagine. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and it happened recently, you know, at the kickstart of Hispanic Heritage Month, you know, mm-hmm. um, I went to a press conference that was like kicking off the Hispanic Heritage events by the city of Charleston and the Latinx Council. You know, they sent out this press release that was uh, talking about revealing the, the the people that were serving on this council. And I went into that meeting knowing that, you know, a lot of these people were people who uh, thought very critically of me because of the way that I, um, you know, critically report on the things they do or aren't doing. Um, And yeah, it was a time to celebrate, you know, kickstart of Hispanic Heritage Month. But when it really boils down to it, you know, when we think about journalism, when we think about telling stories of us is what exactly is it that we're doing? I take it very personal, you know, when we have to go out there and do our job and be the fourth estate, when we have to go and be the voice for the voiceless, you know, like those are the things that we are taught within journalism, like who we are supposed to be and the values that we're supposed to uphold. And um, I had been trying to get a, a, an interview with the mayor, like a one-on-one to kind of get a, you know, where are we in terms of the Latino community and the outreach between the city and Spanish speakers since January? And that never came to fruition. So, you know, during the Q&A session, we only get to ask, you know, a couple of questions. So I could either ask, you know, really great fluffy questions about, you know, what made, what inspired you to celebrate Latinos? Or I could ask, you know, what is your commitment to equitably reaching out to Spanish speakers in the city of Charleston? I chose the latter and they didn't like that very well. Um, you know, we had a very rough interaction. Um, I meant no disrespect, but the vast majority of my respect and my commitment 1000% is to my audience and my community, you know? And so I couldn't give up that moment since that was the only moment that the city had awarded me, sort of speak, um, to not ask a pressing question, you know, language access is so incredibly important, um, that I think that, you know, it, it would have been a disservice to my community, uh, 
to have this platform even if I'm not going to ask those questions. So we can't celebrate Hispanic heritage and not talk about language access. It's not just a 30 day period where we're like, look, these are Latino entrepreneurs, you know, like that's great. We applaud their work, but we have to do this work. And I got a call the following day uh, regarding that. Uh, You know, I, I got subsequent conversations from multiple people, some people in council, some people that approved of the way that I asked the questions and the questions that I asked and some people who uh, were opposed. But at the end of the day, my commitment is to my audience. And I think that's one of the greatest things that I admire about you, you know, like in, in your journalism and telling stories of us is that unwavering commitment that like, no, first it's our audience. And like, we like credit where credit is due, but yeah. if there's no credit to be given, you know, then we're not just going to sit up here and be like, oh, thank you so much for giving us crumbs. No, I, I appreciate the fact that like, to me, I'm, what you did is something that I feel like, um, and I don't like to romanticize, you know, I grew up in a New York metro um, area. So I, I had New York media growing up as a kid. And then of course, undergrad, I was in Jersey city. So that's basically New York city. Um, and then I lived in Philly for 10 years. And so I've been around, um, I've been, I've lived in media markets, um, you know, where I've seen all types of journalism, just diversity is just not the, the, the weakness in those regions. Right. Um, Almost too many sources. Um, But I bring it up because what I saw you do, at least what you outlined in that, that Twitter thread and how you demonstrated courage to pose a question when you had the mayor, um, you know, when, you know, when you had the mayor, albeit it was at a ceremonial event, but that's where you, you know, that's the only, that's the only time you had um, a public event and it's fair game. And I've seen that my whole, like my whole young, the young formative years, I've seen members of the press do just that. Like, Hey, if you're leaving the airport and and I happen to be there, I'm going to get you going to the car, going to your limo. Right. I'm going to, you you know, you're, you're a, you're a public, you're an elected official. You should be hearing from your constituency. And um, I know one thing, Fernando, I'm taken aback by how this city, the, the city council, some city council members are trying to normalize cracking down on First Amendment rights and, and cracking down on this engagement with our, our elected officials. Um, we saw that with the public comment period at, at, a, at, at a, a recent um, city council uh, meeting, we saw that they they restricted comments to thirty minutes and thirty seconds each, and so basically put everyone on a shot clock almost. Yeah. Um. And and that to me was um. I I framed it on my social media platforms. I framed it as you know an attack on democracy because you know the city council or the mayor can't make unilateral decisions. They have to have input, and that includes from the press. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I've been very um. I've been very weary, I guess, of, you know, the mayor and and others trying to normalize the press, the free, freedom of the press as well, like not being able to, to answer questions, especially fair questions about language access, which no one is asking. No one is asking that question. Right. It's my duty. Um, another of the Latino publications in town um, had something to say and, and we felt very strongly about it. And they also sit on the council. And mm-hmm. my take on it is, you know, I, I've never seen you at a press conference asking these questions. I've never seen you during hurricane season, uh, you know, show up to these evacuation press conferences asking from the lens of undocumented folks. And so I have to do that work, you know, and if it comes across as rude, then that's how it comes across. But you're absolutely right. You know, we, we are used to seeing uh, people get press, uh, public figures get 
pressed in public about issues uh, that are pertaining, that are current. And I think one of the faults that maybe is happening here in Charleston is we have a lot of young talent. Um, I've met a number of reporters, and maybe this is the first market that they're working in. So they're trying, they're still yes. trying to develop those skills. Yes. Um, but I've learned, uh, you know, like my straight out of college, I mean, I learned from some of um, the greatest investigative teams, you know, that, that I think are in our industry right now. And they really taught me to just go out there and, and ask the question, you know, like you don't owe anybody a favor as a journalist. Uh, you know, we're not out here to make friends. And yeah, if especially if it's being funded with taxpayer dollars, we have every right to ask for it. Mm-hmm. Um, just as, you know, everyday citizens. So yeah, the 30 second limit on uh, citizen comments and then, you know, not wanting to ask from the press. And I think also what's happening here is that, um, elected officials and and others are not other like entities and institutions are not used to Latino journalists asking mm. for the Latino community. Mm. And that is such a blatant disrespect and disregard for the growth that we've had in this community over the last 10 to 20 years. The and growth like, and the power. Oh my yeah. goodness. Mm-hmm. If you're granting, you know, our television stations, our English speaking newspapers one on one time, why are you declining to speak to us? You know, like we are not you know, a hundred folks within the city. We're not a thousand folks. Like we've grown exponentially, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, you're right. And, and um, I, and I, and I think for you to, to, to make that observation is such a good one because I think even with the black community, there's a level of like agency that folks don't expect us to exercise and um, now we've had we've had the Chronicle here. We know the Chronicle is a is a historically black newspaper that just recently folded. And um, you know, it, it, I won't say it was declining. I don't want to use that word, but in, in in more recent years, it just didn't have the same presence as it once did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still served a very very important function up until its very end, or, or at least I don't know if it's a break. I don't know if it's intermittent. <laughs> I don't right. want to put it in, in the ground. But but I say all that to say that, you know, there was at least this one voice here. Again, going back to my childhood, there was radio, there was print media, there were Sunday shows, there were local cable access shows that that questioned or or pushed the status quo to show up better for black lives. Here not not as much, but there was still some some resistance here. Um, but that agency, it, it shows you that in in my view, it shows me that elected officials are used to um, marginalized communities or communities of color not necessarily pushing back because for fear of losing access to resources or to information. Yeah. Um, yeah and I think you kind of sat that on its head with that exchange. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think luckily one of the greatest things that I have learned in my career as a journalist and, and in schooling um, has been like, I don't necessarily need to go to, elected officials to get information right like they are a source of information yes but we have plenty of sources uh inside in the city in these councils we have a number of people who are willing to share information to alert us because they understand the importance and the constitutional right that we're granted you know and like the responsibility that we have to the general public to inform them of what's happening um so like yeah it it would be a lot easier if you could just grant us you know a a 30-minute one-on-one interview 
interview um, and I'll keep pushing for that. That's just out of transparency and out of like, you know, common practice. But I mean, it's not a requirement. And then we're also not a news outlet. You yourself, you know, through your mm-hmm. through your Twitch streams and your social media, mm-hmm. we're not people that are in the media spectrum to just regurgitate or amplify mm-hmm. uh press releases and, and things from from government and elected officials we know that corruption exists and it's possible and it runs rampant even here in the united states of america mm-hmm. and our job is to find uh the balance to find the truth to find the facts you know and disseminate that information to our audiences yeah i appreciate that um you're so you're so brilliant i can listen to you all day oh you're teaching me a few lessons i need to slow down <laughs> no just learning from the best i i really do uh feel like you have empowered me to speak up in a lot of situations you know um I do always think about, you know, the backlash, Yeah. but I'm like, you know what, somebody has to do this and we need to keep pushing for it. And it's uncomfortable, you know, when we talk about uh, just in recent weeks and and the sheriff surveilling and the posting courier, uh, you know, their, their commentary board and their opinion uh, kind of diminishing the work um, that people are doing out here. Uh, those are uncomfortable conversations, but those are conversations that need to be had. And those are conversations that need to be had publicly because we are not, we didn't sign up to be uh, in this space to keep everything to ourselves. You know, like we're public individuals, they're elected officials mm-hmm. and they're open to this dialogue and criticism, or they should be open to this dialogue and criticism um, because that's that's what we signed up for specifically. Yeah, absolutely. And um, to that point, I'm staying on your Twitter feed. So this this week you um, tweeted a response to Brian Hicks. He writes, um, for those who don't know, Brian Hicks uh, writes an opinion column for the Post and Courier. I'm not a big fan of Brian Hicks, I, full disclosure. <laughs> um, but 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 beyond that, I want to I want to make sure that we maintain um, you know, we're applying a journalistic lens to kind of how we distill his coverage. I let you characterize it, but basically you had a response similar to my response to Brian um, chiming in on the Sheriff Graziano surveilling um, activists. And, and, and for those who don't know, um, I, well, I already did an, an episode of Mic'd Up. I was one of the activists that was surveilled. Um, yeah. yeah. So I just want to just, you know, your, your, your thread says it all, but tell people kind of how you, how you viewed his coverage of this incident. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's um, a pivotal moment that we're in right now in journalism in trying to push our colleagues, ourselves, our industry into what really is the purpose of um, columns? What is the purpose of editorial boards and those opinions that they publish? And I think sometimes they're very harmful to our community. I I personally found uh, that column by Hicks um, that was like, of course, Charleston Sheriff's Office monitors social media of like, uh, no doubt. And I don't think it was any surprise to anyone that read or that found out that they were being surveilled that like that is a thing that happens. Mm -hmm. But I think what I took... what I took problem in that was like, what is the point of this? Like you have such a big platform and the Post and Courier being such a big publication across the state, you know, why are you diminishing accountability? Like that is, you know, what people are supposed to be doing, regardless of whether or not you and I campaign to, you know, get Graziano in office. We didn't campaign directly for her. We campaigned around issues and we were very, very blatant and specific during that time that accountability was going to be a huge role in what we did. And we we didn't do it out of electing a woman who is a member of the LGBT community or who has Italian heritage to office. Like that, that wasn't our commitment. Our commitment was to our community that we need someone who is better than Al Cannon, 
by acknowledging that we are going to have to hold our feet to the fire when it comes to it. And that's exactly what we're doing. So for him to have come out and said, uh, you know, like they unfriended her, like, no, we, we didn't seek out to be friends with the new sheriff to begin with. This is not a, I scratch your back. You scratch Mm -hmm. my back type of relationship. Mm -hmm. There's a level of communication that maybe has happened in the past, but at the end of the day, like, you know, we are still pushing forward these issues in our communities to try to, create a more equitable solution and we know that black and brown people are targeted unfairly and that is where our commitment lies so i thought it was very childish honestly uh for him yeah. to take, have taken this stance and i don't i don't necessarily hold brian hicks in the highest regard but i will say that this was beneath him like like you said you work for a pulitzer prize winning uh publication you have a platform that's that's bigger than than yours or mine fernando right yeah. um you know you you, you know and and you know, this opinion column that he's the only, I don't even know if they have other opinion writers. I don't think, I don't know what Warren Pepper's doing is something along the lines of opinion, but I don't know. Um, but, but Brian Hicks um, is the most prominent one. And I, I just opened the article as we're speaking and like, he literally used for those who don't, who haven't read it, the, the opening paragraph is some of Kristen Graziano's earliest supporters apparently have decided to, uh, unfriend and italicize the new Charleston County Sheriff. And um, what he did out the gate was so journalistically um, irresponsible because if you look at the reporting from Live 5 News, um, which they asked her to comment before that story, you know, went to air. They asked her several times, like 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 many, if not most journalists do. Um, what, what, he's, um, what he's trying to downplay is that information from my social media feed went to many agencies that are designed to protect things that, that are Homeland security adjacent that um, are designed to monitor security threats. So don't tell me that, Oh, of course they're watching. She shared our information with sled or the office, rather the office, the sheriff's department shared our information with sled uh, with C a project Seahawk. Um, People could do their Googles on that. Um, it wasn't just uh, hey they're watching us. It wasn't just an internal review of our of our content. It was you know you opened us up for more scrutiny from from some major surveillance agencies. Yeah. And I think what he's trying to do for his audience here is really, you know, drive this narrative of like, you're never satisfied. Like you've mm. got your sheriff. Why aren't, why aren't you settle? you know, like simmer yeah. down. Like yeah. you already got her elected. Like what more do you want? And that is what's mind boggling to me. Like, I think there's such a movement right now across the country that we are not settling for crumbs. We're not settling for the less of two evils. Like there are commitments to humanity to their commitments to our causes that we want. And that work continues, you know, it's not like, I cannot stress this enough. Like this is not about uh, Kristen as an individual and getting her that position and getting her those accolades. This is about, you know, dismantling a system that has consistently failed uh, people of color. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she got 287G done. And just because of that, like, I am grateful for it, but I can't sit down and sit back and not acknowledge the harm that is being done to black folks still in Charleston County. You know, like you are the face of this office, this institution, like you have a duty uh, to everyone to uh, try to change the system, to listen, to hear out the list of demands. You know, we've been pressing on this list of demands with the ACLU for so long. And I, like, I still haven't seen a list of what 
on those demands they have done. Mm-hmm. So I think he's just really, really trying to drive that narrative of like, they're just never going to be satisfied, you know, like regardless. Yeah, which is also injurious to democracy because you're also trying to say that like dissent is not, there's no place for dissent and there is right. dissent. And look, um, like Fernando disclosed, and we'll, we'll move off this, um, but as Fernando disclosed, like, both you and I helped were instrumental in her campaign. And um, yeah. I interviewed her. I, I used my platform to, to advocate for, because, you know, Al Cannon had to go for sure. Um, Daphne had to go. Um, but we, not just that though, we were looking for a better alternative to what we had for what, 30 years. Yeah. Um, and so um, you and I both use our platforms and our credibility with our communities uh, to help, advances this this candidate and she won office and she so she won on the backs of black brown and lgbtq support and so um i don't know what dynamic brian hicks thinks that folks should have with elected officials but the work begins when she starts so accountability begins when she starts so it's, it's really weird for him a member of the media a member of the press to um, downplay dissent um, in, in this realm, I thought that to your and I think you kind of alluded to it. It's condescending to black and brown people. Um, and I wrote a, I wrote an op ed in not in support of her, but more so like you said in support of hey um, politically the Democrats. She's being scapegoated. You might want to jump in here and, and 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 reposition this story before she loses this seat to something. You know, I'm trying. I was trying to talk about political power in my op-ed about like, hey, she's being scapegoated. Am I, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of her at that time, but I'm like, hey, you know, let's let's try to build power here. But anyway, I guess Brian- We're waiting for progression, you know? Like that, yeah. that is, when I when I think of that and yeah, like you out of all people didn't have to mm-hmm. uh, write that op-ed, you know, like, but the impact that it had for her, for her appearance is huge. Mm-hmm. And I think he knows what he's doing, you know? I think he's smart. Uh, and I think he knows that he can, you know, land this on the moderates, you know, who yes. who are supportive to an extent. But are like you know what after reading this column he's right like why are they still not satisfied you know because we have a lot of moderate allies mm. quote unquote allies who have uh, not necessarily withdrawn their support but basically by staying silent or turning the other way uh, so I think he knows exactly what he's doing you know trying to diminish that going forward mm. into I, I'm assuming that I don't know if she's going to run or not again but I think it's just laying the groundwork for what's to come. Yeah, thank you. I, I yeah, I think you you nailed it right there, and you're right. It, he knows his audience, and he knows his readership. Um, you know, so he knows what he's doing. Um, I guess which is a great place to transition is to your vision of um the future, um for media here. The media, as I said in the beginning, um, I hope I did say it <laughs> when I go back and listen, but it's it's, it's extremely homogenous here. Um, very white, very male. And, um, for me as a black woman, as a Gullah Geechee descendant, you know, um, I don't see myself reflected in media, but that's just, those are my, that's, that's my value systems. Like what do you want to see in Charleston, in the low country, or even in South Carolina from your perspective? Yeah. Again, I, I go back to this pivotal moment right now that we're that we're having in journalism. Uh, you know, we have a lot of big corporations that are buying out smaller uh, media companies and, you know, they're just downsizing and, and that just being replicated. But the harm that's really being done, you know, regardless of whether or not you have a tab dedicated to communities of color, like if you have a tab dedicated to communities of color in an entire publication, then you're doing something wrong. You know, um, we yeah. need to be seeing stories that reflect our folks that don't 
reflect our folks when it just comes to poverty and crime, you know, because I feel like that is really the only image that continuously gets painted, uh, that we are business owners, that if we are struggling, well, this is, you know, a systemic struggle that hasn't been tackled. You know, when we are talking uh, with any city, with any county government, and they're discussing uh, new initiatives uh, for programs for home ownership, for uh, new entrepreneurs, but they're not willing to under to address, you know, the underlying factors of why people aren't being successful and why they're not thriving even when these programs are in places i think that is you know the disservice that is being done and that's what's not being covered um i've had the honor to meet some really great folks from across the country who are leading in this space uh sierra brown from scalawad magazine candace fortman from outlier media uh who have a, a a vision for telling stories of us and for not just telling stories of us, but investing in our own communities. You know, this idea that journalists uh, need to come from within our own communities to understand the landscape, to understand what questions to ask, to understand how those answers impact the community and if there needs to be a follow-up. So I envision, you know, a media landscape that uh, is truly transforming and pushing forward a narrative by not just uncovering, you know, situations of injustice or corruption, but that's really highlighting and spotlighting like why these things are happening and truly offering, you know, like solutions-based journalism of like, how can we move forward with this as a community? But I think what we're seeing a lot of times, there's just white folks, sometimes well-intentioned white folks uh, who are covering our communities. And there's just, there's something about the experience, the lived experience that you're just not able to capture and get and understand. And it doesn't translate into the writing. You know, we have read some, some great pieces from, from white journalists, uh, but those are, you know, far and few. And I think in the everyday news cycle, we are not being represented. You know, I'm doing my best over here, but I have a small team and capacity, um, you know, it's a bit of a struggle, but we've grown tremendously over the last 20 months and we're going to continue to grow. But moving forward, uh, we want to be able to incorporate, um, you know, some new some new things uh, into the into the environment so that uh, we're really able to captivate an audience uh, that is underserved and that they feel, you know, like, wow, this this is speaking to me. This is directly impacting me in the school board, in healthcare. you know, like, yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of the systemic problems that we have um, can also be uh, influenced by media, and they have been. And I think that's a, a huge reason why we don't see a lot of progression, especially in Charleston, is because it's all been controlled by the same folks. Yeah, I, I think you cannot talk about um, diversity in media. You cannot talk about the media, the current media. Uh, landscape without talking about the power, the money that flows into these publications. And you're right. I think the absence of uh, free, fair, independent journalism is actually, that's that's by design. That that void has been created to subdue a lot of folks. Um, and I, I think in, in a tourism city like Charleston, you know, you don't want to piss off any of the visitors that might, <laughs> that might come. Um, that's one part of it. But the other part is, like you said, it, it we have to interrogate power and where it flows and um, fill that void. So as, as folks are, as I've witnessed and you've witnessed this week, as folks are talking about the, and I'm using air quotes that no one can see that the, <laughs> the future of journalism and they only enlist the voices of, of white men to, to talk about that. Um, 
um, as people contemplate that and talk about that, I, I really do. Ho- I'm excited. What you just outlined, what you just described, your vision, the space you currently hold. I'm excited to see the future because I know the future of media is not what they're about to tell us at, at on a webinar, right. you, know, you know, streaming on Facebook live. Like it's not that's not what I'm not interested in hearing what they have to say. Um, the way you've used technology, the way you've made yourself nimble and dynamic and um, your skill set. Um, I, I'm really excited about your evolution and your ascension. Thank you. And I, I, I will also add this, mm-hmm. that I think there are more and more English publications that are adding uh, journalists of color. I have met a, a couple of um, people who identify as Latino mm-hmm. uh, within some of these newsrooms. Uh, and to that, I think that we have to also be intentional about mm-hmm just because we are Latino, I'm a Latino man, mm-hmm. uh, that we can check off this box of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, like yeah. we have to really think about, when I, when I think about my coverage, there's a lot of things that I don't cover because I don't have capacity for. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that I'm working towards. But when we think about, you know, DEI, when we're talking about clients, mm-hmm. etc., we also have to be cognizant of our own uh, proximity to whiteness, our own proximity to those same oppression systems, because a lot of times, uh, you know, having a white passing Latino in a newsroom, uh, like, yeah, you have a Latino in your newsroom, but are they still, you know, covering Black communities equitably? No, because they're not having that experience. You know, we're just replicating the same problem by being able to check off someone's, you know, ethnic background. Uh, so it's a lot of intentionality that needs to go behind it because yeah. in, in this entire hemisphere, like that, you know, colonization happened from top to bottom. Top to bottom. <laughs> nope. Not just in these 48 continuous states. And it is extraordinarily important to incorporate. And, I, and I'm glad that you're using your voice to say that, um, you know, solidarity, this 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 area loves to tell, oh, we're unified. We're, you know, we're, this is all solidarity, forgiveness, you know, all all the good things. But for you to, to say that explicitly really means a lot. And I think um, that's the lens because you, you just basically articulated like, hey, we have a race analysis here. <laughs> you know, and you, you and, and media should have a race analysis, should have a class analysis. Um, you know, uh, I think you made that distinction or you either shared a tweet on Twitter about like how these jobs used to be working, working class jobs. Yeah. Um, so I think the fact that you literally just incorporated a race analysis into how how it's more than just representation. It's more than just checking boxes. I said this this morning on Twitch. You know, you know, all black ain't, ain't the same black. And that's good. We need black conservatives. We need black. We need all of it. We need, yeah. you know, but, you know, um, it, it representation is more than just getting the body in the newsroom. Um, you're right. And and I'm I'm happy you, you just said I don't know why I'm just double speaking and trying to repeat what you just said. No. You, <laughs> you said it very well. <laughs> I I think I think it there there's a difference between you know, people think that we have to balance um mm. things in our society and the way that they think of balance is that if I hire a white person I have to hire a black person or if I hire mm. a black person I have to hire a Latino person. I'm like, no, that, that doesn't really solve a whole lot of things. And that's not my intention with my business model and the way that we do media business, like there are plenty of people that are doing that, right? There are plenty of people that are just hiring uh, a, a diverse pool just mm-hmm. for the sake of having one, but where they're out really thinking about intention and like different backgrounds and other different factors. But 
in this program that I was just at at UNC, mm-hmm. one of the things that I think about often is uh, what is the purpose that I'm trying to have with my publication? And I often think, you know, like I'm personally not going to be satisfied until we're able to like equitably cover uh, a poor undocumented black transgender woman. You know, like if mm-hmm. we are not able to address the needs and information of the most marginalized amongst the marginalized, mm-hmm. then we're not doing our job. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's not, you know, the mission for everyone, but we try to be a, a mission driven company. Uh, and, and that's what I want. You know, mm-hmm. I think that there's plenty of people that are doing things for the vast majority of us, but I want to focus on, on the little folks, because I think, you know, for a time, uh, you know, I grew up poor and I was undocumented. And, and now that I'm starting to open my way, thanks to so many of the great people that I've met who have opened doors and shared in their knowledge and shared in, you know, this vast wealth of resources, um, I owe it to, you know, the people that are coming after us to yeah. pay it forward and that we can thrive. Because I feel like that's truly the only way that in every process we can change our society to like give everyone a chance. Yeah. Oh, Fernando, thank you so much. I think your voice is so critically important uh, to to Charleston. Um, I value your thoughts and and I value what you what you bring to this uh, city. So I want to say thank you. Can you tell folks where to find you and all of your content? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on social media. All of them. My handle is ninety four Fernando Soto, and uh, localspanishnews.com. If, mm-hmm. if you can't spell Nuestro Estado, localspanishnews.com will take you to our website. Um, yeah, if you have a company you want to advertise for us, that is how we fund our journalism. Um, we are pretty selective in, in who we work with. But, um, you know, intentionality goes a long way. And I really want to thank you. I, I don't think I get to thank you often enough for the amount of support. Like from day one that I met you, <laughs> uh, I think I met you for the first time in person at the Poor House at a Benny Starr concert. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. have been incredibly supportive, like all along the way, you know, and, and for the people listening, like, this is not about like, oh, we're always on the same page, like, mm-hmm. no disagreement is good and it's healthy and like we have a disagreement as well Mm -hmm. but we push ourselves like i am so thankful uh that you're able to challenge me that you're able to challenge other folks to think critically and to think like what exactly is it that we're doing so that we're not just getting stuck in this you know Mm -mm. repeat to repeat to repeat to right Right. no i appreciate that friend i really do um the feeling is, is ultra mutual and um um i just think that yeah, I, I'm I'm really grateful because it can this city can really make you feel lonely, lonesome in thought and um and in your heart. And uh I'm glad that we're we're working toward creating a, a better, more equitable community here. So I, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, I real quick real quick, low key, I did not know that it was that easy. You said localspanishnews.com. Yeah, I was surprised the domain was available, but I was oh like, God. I'm snagging this. <laughs> Wait, wait. Let me look at localblacknews.com. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mika. I always enjoy talking to you. Likewise. Take care. Bye.